All right. Ready to go, my friend? Okay, cool. Thumbs up. Sounds good. All set. You got all your levels set. I like where the levels are right now, so just keep them there and let's get started. All right. I'll give you the three S's and that countdown, and you give me the music, hopefully on time. (laughs) And we'll do a podcast. Put it in the book, 374. All right, Reg, you ready to go? Cool. Here we go. Star, smile, strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. There we are. Just sitting there waiting for you. Don't forget, listening is key, but almost as elemental, if you will. Is you getting out there and spreading the word. So tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. And it should be theirs, too. Come on. That loyalty and devotion is certainly appreciated on this end. If you like what you hear, of course, you yourself can go to WGNRadio.com and hit that podcast section. And then hit the prompt for this podcast. And you too, not only your friends, but you can enjoy the plethora of podcasts that reside in that little prompt. It's an amazing the way this computer thing works. You know how many files that would be in a file cabinet? Here is just a click away. It's just a click away. It's just a click away. So click to your heart's content. Find out where we were so you know where we're going. Right now, where we're going is episode 374. I've told you this on uh, previous occasions of this podcast since 2016. Wow. Seven years. Uh, I, um, I'm not proud of the fact, but I am not the most handy of, of people. You know, I'm not, I'm not a Mr. Fix-It. I have a very small range of that capability. I really do believe that that uh, well, in this you know it's interesting. In, in, you know, when I was growing up, if you were if you became handy, if you became a fix it guy, in many uh, instances instances, it was because uh, you learned it at a young age from most likely your father or someone close to you that was. 
handy and sort of a jack of all trades and can fix things around the house and and uh, or was really good at fixing cars you learn that from somebody around you it could have been your father but it also could have been a brother it could have been someone in the neighborhood um but usually it was someone around you now yes there are classes and there always have been classes but most people pick this up I think from either observing people around them or they at first saw these people, whoever this person might be, or people, who knows, fixing things and it sparked their own interest and they asked, hey, how did you do that? What did you do? How did you do that? And they observed and then The other person showed them how to do it, and pretty soon they became adept at it. And that, for 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 many years, that was the way you learned that. Then, obviously, as I said, um, there are there have always been classes, and there's trade schools that 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 that, uh, that teach you these things as well. If you were really serious about it, not only as a profession, but as an individual, just to, to have that knowledge. I, I, I wish I had that knowledge. Especially uh, once you become a, a homeowner, or even in, even in an apartment, but certainly as a homeowner. Uh, the apartment situation is, is sort of the, the purgatory, if you will. <laughs> because if there's anything major... One reason you're paying rent is so that uh, these these little things that may go wrong in a in a house or or in a living space, I should say, not a house but an apartment, uh, electrical uh, leaks, whatever it may be, um, you know, that's something that the landlord will take care of. So that's just a call away. So when you're in an apartment, you have some responsibility. Uh, you can fix things if you can. If they're not major, you can fix them just so that you don't have to wait a week or more for the landlord to uh, to take care of it, whether it's themselves or they, they hire someone out. But it is always good, I think, to have that kind of knowledge, certainly when you own a home. I remember telling my godson when he went from being a renter uh, to an owner, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, that phone call now is to yourself when something goes wrong. If if your hot water heater bursts or leaks or um, the, the, the lights go out or there's some damage or something that's going on in your house, um, there's no one else to call now. That's something you've got to handle, whether you can handle it yourself or you've got to find someone else. But that responsibility of getting that done, you can't make that easy call anymore. You sort of get lulled into that. I'll just call the landlord or call the superintendent. Uh, Not when you own the house. I tell you, that's one thing that I really believe in, in terms of education. There's so much talk today about what is being taught in schools And we are focused on, as we always seem to be, especially in an election year, and we are certainly now in an election campaign, even though the 
election will be, uh, you know, next year, and it's more than a year away. Uh, we are in campaign election mode. And so many of these social issues that divide us and have been dividing us for many years, they're, they're only, they're, they seem to be enhanced now thanks to social media. The issues, their controversies, and the division that they cause all seem to be enhanced because of social media. Um, so school curriculum um, and what is taught and how it's taught is becoming a, a huge issue on both sides of the aisle. And, um, but it's mostly about social issues. But I really believe that we are not teaching kids in grammar school or especially in high school. Not everybody goes to college, even though it seems like most people do today. <laughs> That's an overstatement. But with all this talk about, uh, you know, um, student loan uh, forgiveness, it sounds like everybody in the country has student loan debt. <laughs> I don't think that's true, but you wouldn't, you couldn't tell by the, the the media. That's for sure. But certainly, a larger amount of people go to college today than did perhaps forty, fifty years ago. But even in college, I'll even add this to college. But certainly in high school, um, I I really think it's it would it would be. You know, we have these these core classes that everybody has to take, mathematics and science and history and things like that. But I'll tell you what I have found. How many times when you were in high school, especially when math started to get a little crazy, as I've said a few times here, I loved math when I was in grammar school, loved addition, loved subtraction was especially excited by multiplication and, as I've said a few podcasts ago, was mesmerized and in love with long division because you got to do all that little cool stuff, you know, with the little the little house and the remainders. Oh, my gosh, I loved long division. But certainly when you got into college or to high school, many people started, when, when, when math started to get a little more obtuse uh, and a little more in depth with algebra and geometry and trigonometry and how many times unless you were a math major unless it came easy to you and to some people it did um, but if less that unless math was really something that came easy to you, that your brain completely absorbed and understood, how many times did you or did you hear others say, when am I ever going to use this? I'm never going to use this. And in many cases, that's true. I can honestly say in my life since graduating high school, I took three years of math. Uh, it, algebra 2 trig completely blew my mind. And that was the last math class I ever took. But I can honestly say that in the time I from I graduated from high school through college and now in my adulthood, I've been rarely 
confronted with the need for Algebra 2 trig. So in many ways, I was right. I sort of knew my path saying, I, this is not, I'm not going to be a math teacher. I'm not going to be an engineer. I'm not going to be someone where this level of math and the knowledge of it is going to affect me. Now, there's certainly geometry can come into play in your adult life. There's a lot of times you have to worry about angles and things like that. I don't know if you have to know the Pythagorean theorem necessarily, but at least some aspects of geometry may come into play if you are not pursuing a mathematical career or path in your life. But what I do think that we, that should be taught that would be, that would be very helpful and to me is just as important as those core classes and core courses especially in high school and even in college to prepare yourself for adulthood that's what school is about it's about gaining knowledge it's about gaining knowledge to go out into the world and be productive Yes, it's important to know facts and figures about certain things to make you a well-rounded person, but I also believe that some real-world courses on some subjects that you certainly will use in your life should be not elective. They should be a part of the core curriculum. And these have nothing to do with controversial social issues, which everybody's screaming about these days, sex education and now transgender types of issues and things like that. I'm not talking about that. You know what I'm talking about? I'm talking about finance, personal finance. Writing and keeping a checkbook Balanced. Understanding the basics of finance, personal finance, not not world politics finance, but the type of things that the average person needs to run a household to assure that your bills are paid, budget, how to budget, budgetary things. That should be taught. Now, maybe it's being taught. I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. From what I'm seeing around the, the when I just watch the news and everything and hearing how, how young people are in financial straits, I don't think that this is being taught very well. I know in my, in my world it wasn't. Once again, you kind of learned it on the run, and that's why so many people in so many instances are in financial straits. They never had that. Formal training. My mom was very progressive in that way. I mean, she had me writing checks, physically writing the check and and, and getting an understanding of it. If there was something that I wanted, for instance, as a young kid, she would buy it, for me, but sometimes she would say, well, let's write a check for that. Let me show you what that means. You know, here's the, here's our balance. 
Here's how you write the check. Here's how you log it in. And now that's your new balance. And you make sure that, you know, I don't know how many people have that training. Do parents take the time? Are people learning that on the fly? How many commercials do you see now with young people in their 20s and 30s talking about um, their financial scores? You see that all the time now. Because suddenly these people who were all excited about going online and taking pictures of their, their dinners and their drinks when they were in their early 20s, now they're in their late 20s, early 30s, and they're applying for mortgages or they're applying to, uh, to, to get apartments. And suddenly their credit score, this number, this, this mysterious number, certainly plays a role in their lives. And they don't even know what the heck it's, it's, it's about. And they're in their late 20s, early 30s, and they never really established a line of credit on their own. Their parents, in many cases, have been paying off their, their phone bills and their, and their credit card bills. When they've gone to those restaurants to take pictures of those delicious meals or those, those cool drinks, they paid with it on a credit card, but their name wasn't on it. Now suddenly they go to rent an apartment or even more, take out a mortgage on a house, and the first thing the lender looks at is their line of credit. Their credit score. And there's no history of them proving that they can meet financial responsibilities. So I think that personal finance is just as important in high school as Algebra 2 Trig. And that is one class, that would be one course, that would be one curriculum, maybe it's over a couple of years, that you could not say, this is not going to help me in my later life. Oh, it will. And another one, I think I would have a, a general, I don't even know what you'd call it, but a, a, a general type of course or curriculum, maybe it's a one- or a two-year thing, about the basics of how, you know, things in the home. The basics of a plumbing problem that you might be able to fix on yourself. Look, I understand there are some problems that happen around your house that you need a professional to do. I get that. I get that more than anybody. I've said many times, my, my answer is, call the guy. Isn't there a guy that does this? As I said to you earlier, my, I think you learn that from people around you. My dad was not a putterer. My dad was not someone who, and, and I don't know if my, I never met my grandfather, his father, so I don't know. But my dad knew a very basic, he could do a few things, but he wasn't like, Handy with with a with a you know handy with with a with a with a you know with with some kind of a you know tool. He couldn't fix the car. Could do the basics, check the oil, check some of the other fluids, but not when it came to replacing spark plugs or or doing your own uh, oil change. Some people I know do that. Some people definitely 
around the house, I've got a, f- a couple of friends who, you know, they 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 do a lot of their own uh, repairs, and in many ways, they don't. They only not only do their own repairs, they do some of their own additions, and it's not their full time job, but they're around it. They learned it from their fathers or from their uncles or for their friends in the in the uh, you know in the neighborhood as a young kid. And especially in today's world, I don't think it's gender based at all. Men and women should know how to fix things. And if you watch many of the shows today, some of the most popular shows, the most popular channels is HGTV, right? We see many of these rehab shows are hosted and done by women. They're out there with the sledgehammer and they're fixing stuff. So I think this crosses again, this crosses over uh, gender lines as well. Men and women should have a basic knowledge of how to fix some basic things, some basic knowledge of electricity. So maybe you could fix, uh, you know, this little wire or something so that it's not that big of a, of a chore to perhaps put in a, uh, a fixture, a lighting fixture. So know something about electricity. Know something about plumbing. Once again, if it's a major problem, certainly, then you call a professional. But there are some things that you can do on your own. And some things that I've had to learn just by necessity. Now, what I, what I was getting at as well is that that was the case kind of 30, 40, 50 years ago. Today, take advantage of the technology. As I said before, you could either have learned this stuff from a relative or a friend or, or someone else. You could have taken some outside class in it. But today, my gosh, once again, the access to information that we have on the Internet. There is a YouTube video for anything. If you go on YouTube, whatever problem or question you have about anything i guarantee you that if you type it in there's going to be a youtube video on it it's it's crazy the amount of minutia and the amount of information that is available to us there's so much more out there except tiktok folks so to, in today's world, you, you don't even have to take that effort. You can, at any age, teen, adult, even senior citizen, you can find information on the Internet, how to fix something. Now, the other side of the coin is, as we know, our minds are much more pliable at a younger age. I still stand behind... The previous um, statement of, I think it should be taught in schools as a formal training, because I think you will, we will, you will be better. You, you know, when you're younger, you, 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 you take things in better. You would have the uh, the advantage of repetition. 
of being tested on it, of, of physically doing it and have someone who knows how to do it see you do it and help you, which is the most effective way, I believe. Certainly, you could watch a, a video. But many times, as we know of anybody who's a homeowner or even a renter and you fix things, no two problems in a house are the same. When you watch this video, here's how to fix this or here's how to fix this. You may say, how do I fix this leak? And there's a video, and you say, perfect. But you know what? Your situation, your leak is never exactly the same. And you need that extra little knowledge to make those little detours or make those little improvised ad libs, if you will. Oh, well, wait a minute. Oh, this is happening too. I need to do this and that. You need to know those little tricks. And if you watch a video many times... They, they, they fix what is in front of them. And unless your problem is exactly the same, it's going to help you up to a point, but it may not help you completely fix it. So while there's certainly helpful things online and on YouTube and other types of platforms that can help you with some of these very uh, you know, basic things, I still think in high school especially, or in college, why not in college? You know, and don't forget, it, it, I don't, I don't, I don't, and maybe this is happening. I don't, I don't see the results of it. So that's why I'm saying it. I don't have any kids. So I don't know what's been being taught in college the last, or high school and college in the last 30 or 40 years. But I think that it, it certainly, if it isn't there, it should be. And if it is there, then I hope it's not an elective. Let's put it that way. Maybe it is there, but it's an elective. No, I think it should be a part of the core curriculum. Everybody should be graduating with that, with that knowledge, with some awareness and some exposure to that knowledge of how to do some basic things around the house and some basic tenets of personal finance. Those are subjects that you will use in your life. Which brings me to my recent dilemma. (laughs) You knew I'd have to bring this around to me, certainly, at one point, right? (laughs) So as I've said, uh, I uh, I have a very basic knowledge of stuff like that. Of, 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 I mean, I, I'm okay with the, the personal finance because my mom showed me that. But my dad was not a putterer. My dad was not a do-it-yourselfer. And so, and I, and that really wasn't, I wasn't surrounded by that. I had no brothers and, uh, you know, or sisters that, that also may have gotten into that. So I couldn't learn it from them. So, you know, once again, in many ways, we are our parents' children, aren't we? And as we get older, we realize that in many ways. So um, I have a very limited knowledge of cars. I have never been a car buff. I've, I've talked about this in the past. I don't know. I've never, I've always looked at a car as a mode of transportation, I've never had that that um that other side of it like a you know a collector of cars or or a car enthusiast I don't know the different makes or brands or the numbers I just remember when I was growing up one of my friends dad had a 442 
I don't know what that is. I don't know what it was. But I know that he was impressed with it. A 442. I don't, what is that? I don't even know. It was kind of a cool-looking car, if I remember it. But I just remember that. We'll talk about things you remember. I mean, my gosh, I was, I was seven or eight. I just remember my friend Peter's dad had a 442. <laughs> I don't know what that was. I, I still don't. I don't know about Mustangs or Camaros or I just that's it's not in my purview. I've always liked to have a nice car. I've never I've had a couple of luxury cars in my life, but nothing regular. I've had always dependable nice cars. I like to have a nice de- car, certainly visually that has some amenities on it, but I don't need everything. What I do want from a car is dependability. Because when I was growing up, my first couple cars were used cars, and they, they were not dependable. And it was really a pain in the butt. The cars were, were constantly giving me trouble, and, I, and it, it, was, it, was, it was a frustration. So when I have, over the last 35 years or so, when I have been you know, buying cars, I have looked at dependability as a key and then those other things the look and stuff yeah i would like a nice looking car has some amenities on it that are kind of fun and cool great but my cars have never been loaded with every possible bell and whistle i don't have the coolest car on the street i want a dependable car that's you know nice to look at but I, even for my, 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 I don't even know what fun to drive means. When I drive, it is, it is very, um, you know, need specific. I need to get from somewhere to another spot. I don't just drive like, oh, let's take a drive. I don't do that. I've never done that. I certainly do that more than my dad did once again. I don't remember any road trips, like our vacations. We never took a road trip. You know, we, my, we would drive to destinations and do things, but we rarely said, okay, we're going to drive from Chicago to Iowa or Chicago to Michigan. We never did that. I've done that. I've driven somewhat around the country. And within, you know, I've, I've done intra and uh, interstate driving. Not a ton, but certainly more than my dad did in terms of, of sort of, of breaking that, uh, uh, you know, that, that I don't even know what you would call it, but, um, breaking that mold, if you will. But I, I never did that when I was young, and I said, well, that might be fun. And it was fun to a certain extent, but I mean, I know some people that have driven around the country because it was such a major part of their lives when they were growing up. Once again, you cannot discount what you did when you were young in terms of how it shapes and forms and informs your life later. That's why I think it's so important if you have a kid to expose them to so many different types of things and then let them decide what they like and what they don't. But I think it's so important to expose them to as many different um, experiences and different um, aspects of knowledge 
so that they can decide what they like or what they don't like. I I drove, you know, within inter as I said interstate as well as intrastate just because I didn't do it. It was almost like, well, my dad never did it, but I so I want to do it. It's almost like a, a reaction to it, a rebellion to it. I don't think that's the right way to do it. It's nothing against him. He wasn't in, he, that wasn't his um his thing, which is fine. But I looked at that as an example then to say, well, geez, we never did this. And I always saw other friends driving everywhere. That might be fun. Let me try that. I, have, I don't do it expressly. I still jump on a plane more than driving. But I have driven. So at least I've had that experience. And I'm not afraid to do it. Well, I am afraid to do it in the mountains. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think it's so important to just um, expose your kids to so many different experiences as you can. And then let them decide what they like and what they don't like. Not that I always talk about Elton John, but, it, but it's an interesting little sidebar to this. So Elton John has two kids. They're 12 and 10. His oldest son, Zachary, is 12. And apparently over the last several years, on his own, but he must have learned it somewhere. Here's, here's this one of these kids, of the, one of the richest men in the world, one of the, the, the biggest celebrities in the world. They, they, they live a lavish life, no question about it. And this young kid, for the last two or three years, if not more, I mean, they fly on private jets, and on yachts, and they, I mean, they've got housekeepers. I mean, you name it. These kids are living the ultra-elite life. And yet this 12-year-old kid now, it's going to be 13 at Christmas time, over the last two or three, four years, has taken an intense interest in fishing. <laughs> in Fishing. You know, not art. I mean, they have houses in, in Nice and in Venice and in England and in, in, in Los Angeles. They live everywhere. They go everywhere. And this kid has a, a, an intense passion for fishing. Now, I would imagine where he learned it was probably every year for the last several years, most of their lives, they're only 12, for the, for the last more than 10 years or so, when Elton and his husband have taken vacations, when he had a break in touring, they were there was always paparazzi pictures of them going out on yachts. <laughs> now they, do, you know, most people get in a nice little boat somewhere. They have a boat, you know, you know, rowboat or a motorboat. I mean, Elton, of course, living this lifestyle, he does. He's got a yacht. But these kids have been raised on going on yachts throughout the Mediterranean, right? So, yeah, it's a, different, it's a different level. So I bet that while they've been out on these boats, perhaps as they're out at sea, maybe people have been fishing or maybe just being around the water and then hearing about people fish. Maybe it, he took his own initiative and said, well, how do you fish? We're out here in the ocean. What are we, what are we supposed to do? 
If you're a long, you little kid, okay, it's it's kind of cool to be on this boat for the first ten minutes. But they're you know, kids always need to be active. They need to be something. They just aren't going to sit in a chair and, and admire the scenery and uh, you know and say, "Isn't it great to be on a yacht?" Somehow, whether he was taught once again, as I said, someone may have taught him then, and maybe he came up to somebody and said, "Hey, do we, you you know can you teach me to fish?" But somehow he got into fishing, and he now is an avid fisherman. At 12, almost 13 years old, this kid is a major fisherman. And I saw Elton's husband, David Furnish, at at a concert recently, and we had a a brief little chat, and that was one of the first questions I asked him. How did Zachary get into fishing? And he said, I don't know. But he's way into it, and we're we're happy that he has a, a passion and an interest, and we're certainly encouraging it. But, you know, we don't, Elton doesn't fish. (laughs) David Furnish doesn't fish. They're jet setters. But this kid has found a passion for fishing to the point that I've just read recently that now that Elton has stopped touring and is going to spend more time with his family, that Zachary has gone on the Internet and research things and some of the best fishing apparently for whatever he wants to find or catch or whatever is supposedly near the antarctica so the family is going to antarctica (laughs) because zachary wants to fish there (laughs) that's one of the perks of having um a very uh well-to-do family right Uh, you know i went online and they say the best fishing in the world is in antarctica can we go there and the answer is Sure, let's go there. <laughs> but he he found an interest and must have found somebody that taught him some of the things, and perhaps he went online and learned how to do it himself. They've got some water, uh, you know, on their estate in in uh, in England. One time, I heard a story that they that for a couple of hours they couldn't find Zachary. Where's Zachary? And there was a panic. Where is Zachary? And apparently they went out on the grounds of the estate in search of this kid. At that time, he was maybe 9 or 10. Where is he? And you know where they found him? By some kind of water, with on, you know, whether it's a, a small pond or, or, or there's a lake or something around on, on the grounds of, of their estate in England. And he was by himself fishing. <laughs> like, like Huckleberry Finn or Tom Sawyer. So good for him. And good for them for, as parents, for encouraging it. So, you know, we learn from what was what is around us. I would think that he probably got the initial interest in it for being on these yachts. And looking for something to do and wondering. Maybe he watched somebody else deep sea fishing off the thing and said, what are you doing? It could have been as easy as that. So as I said, uh, I have a very basic knowledge on some of these things. And, 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 and I might even be flattering myself on basic <laughs> cars i can tell you uh i can i can um i could check the fluids i know how to do that 
because my first cars used to leak so much oil that I knew how to check oil because I was always filling it. Ugh. And I could fill the um, the washer, the, you know, the, the the wiper fluid. That's always fun, filling that up with the different color stuff. I can do that. But I know nothing about spark plugs, nothing about, dis- I mean, distributor caps, nothing about oil, you know, fuel lines and pumps. And I, that, 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 as I said many times on this podcast, if you see me with my hood up on a car, that is for um, looks only. Because I, don't ask me. I have jumper cables in my car and I have, and I pray to God I never need them because I would not, I'd have to go online to look. I do not know, you know, they, oh, ground. I don't know what ground mean. You know, put this on the, on the, you know, you put this one on the negative and this one grounded. I don't even, well, I would be afraid to even try it. My cars have been jumped, but thankfully someone else has done it. I have the cables, but I've, I didn't put those, I didn't put those things on. And so, uh, when there is a problem, uh, I go to the mechanic. And sometimes I'm sure they look at me like, you know, you're asking me to do this? Now, I I can't say. I taught myself. I taught myself how to change a tire. I'm proud of that. That I have done. I have changed a tire with the whole deal, with the... With the jack and the nuts and the whole thing. That I have done. So I'll give myself a few pointers on that. Um, I have replaced a couple of fuses. You know, you have fuses in the car. I've actually done that. Wow, look at me. Um, But anything underneath that hood, aside from filling up and topping fluids, I have no idea. I'm trying to think. Uh, If I look at the engine... I'm bringing this up now because the other day I actually did I did fill the the wiper fluid and uh I just looked at that engine and um it it might have it 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 looked like uh the greatest mystery I've ever seen of just you know hoses and <laughs> I don't know how the hell that thing works I would love to see like the difference of what a what a what it looks like on an on a electrical car now. It's got to be a lot less complex, but my gosh, when you look at the at the the uh average engine now I must say the engines that they used to have when cars were bigger, those engines were huge. Now I mean I look at this when I open up my hood, it all seems so much more compact. And as and I understand from what I understand a lot of what goes into how a car works now is even driven by computer, not by uh, some of the older technologies that used to run a car. But I don't know the older ones, and I don't know the newer ones. <laughs> I'm not proud of that at all. I wish I would have had someone in my life that would have that was interested in that and would have shown me some of that because I know that I would have, I enjoy a nice puzzle. You know, I like a puzzle. And I think fixing a car is in many ways like a puzzle. You know, sometimes when you see guys that, you know, and women who know how to fix cars, you know, they're like, hmm, okay. 
So what's going on here? And you could see, you know, they're like they're like they're like solving a mystery. They're like a doctor. They're solving a mystery. They're putting together the puzzle. Okay, well, I'll see now. You've got this sound over here, and what's not happening? Okay, well, then that 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 then they sort of put it all together. I I know I would be good at it. I think I would be good at it, but I just never had anyone around me to um, to show me how to do it. And I wish I would have. I have no problems getting my hands dirty. I always make a joke though because of the of of this. I'm not being. I'm not. I'm not into cars, and I'm not, you know, once again, my dad was not a putterer, so I don't know a lot about, you know, so I I like to say that, um, you know, my hands uh, are, I mean, there is not a callus anywhere near my hands. (laughs) I've done some physical labor in my life, but, but not much. My hands are, the palms especially, you know the outside. You know the, 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 those. The, you, you know, I've got I've got some scars and things like that on the on the on the outside on the upper part of my hands and arms, but my palms are as soft as a baby's bottom. <laughs> there isn't anything close to a callus, and I'm not necessarily proud of that, but it's true. And I don't even use any moisturizer. But my God, are my are the palms of my hands soft? <laughs> So recently, so anytime, you know, my fear, every time I turn on my car, I mean, you know, when I hit the button, I don't have a key anymore. I have the button start. You know, I pray to God when I press that, that the lights and everything starts. Because if it doesn't, I'm in trouble. About a couple years ago, if you've listened to the podcast, I talked about how uh, one time I came up in the morning and the car was completely dead. The battery was dead. And even in that case, once again, I had to call the guy who gave me a jump. And he came with this little suitcase. They don't even need the jumper cables anymore. He had this little suitcase. Just came. You know, I called the, the number for the you know service that's part of the car. You know, you can call 24-hour help, whether you, you know on the highway with a flat tire or something, as well as a jump. Yeah, and this guy shows up, and you know the car was in the garage. And I was like, "Well, geez, we have to pull it out. How are you going to jump?" And he goes, "Oh no, he's got this little briefcase, hooks a few things up. I don't know what the hell was in that briefcase, but boom, the car started." And I figured out that what may have actually caused the car to the battery to drain was that my transponder for the toll, I believe, may have fallen off of the window with the adhesive and then hit the hazard light that was on the dashboard. And so so the hazard light was going on all night. And I believe that that's what, because when we turned the car on, the hazard lights were were on. And I didn't have the hazard lights on when I parked the car. So I believe that the hazard light must have got hit when that thing fell off overnight in the garage and sitting in there for at least 12 hours or more, and that must have worn out the battery. See, I like, I like mysteries. That's why I always watch Columbo. I figured that little mystery out. So I know that if I had some general knowledge about how the car works, 
I think I'd be pretty good at it. I don't mind getting my hands dirty. I just, I just never, I never got them dirty. I was never around anybody that said, here, come and get your hands dirty. But if my dad was a putterer and said, okay, now here's how an engine works, I know I would have done it, and I, it would have been helpful. Now, once again, I'm not going to revamp a car or something, but it would be nice to you know, at least have a general understanding. I don't have, I mean, that, and that is, it's, and I'm not proud of this at all. I mean, it's, it's very irresponsible, really, for being someone like me that's very detail-oriented. When it comes to the car, I mean, it's almost, it's, it's so contradictory to, to, to my, my usual, you know, I need, I'd like to know my interest and my inquisitiveness. For some reason, the car, I've never, that inquisitiveness never expanded to a car. As I said, I could have taken some classes if I was that interested in it, or I know I do know some people that were into cars if I really was interested in it, but just never, I know, like I said, I always just looked at the car as a mode of transportation, A, and, and, and I never got into it like that of how to fix it, or wow, I love the new 280Z or whatever the heck that is. The, I, I don't know any of those numbers. I don't know what they mean. I've heard them. I know there's a, a, a 280Z. That sounds familiar to me. Just of people talking about it, but I couldn't. I couldn't spot one if you showed me a picture of it. We have no idea. But anyway, so since I have this very rudimentary knowledge about cars, not proud of it, but also very honest about it. My biggest fear every time is when I hit that button. That, as I said, when I look at the dashboard, I pray to God that, the, that it lights up. <laughs> I go, okay, we're, we're good. <laughs> and, I, and especially on many cars today, you know, when, that, when, when you hit the, the on button and the dashboard open, you know, begins to, uh, to light up, what happens on many dashboards today is, you know, the, the, dread, the most dreaded thing for me is a light on the dashboard that shouldn't be lit up. I mean, that is the greatest fear. Every time I press that on button, there are certain lights on the dashboard that need to be there, but then there are those emergency lights and those warning lights and those are the ones i fear and on most cars at least my cars of recent years when you first start the car up all those warning lights go on they all go on and then they all shut off and then your dashboard should be nice and black except for what you need you know your speed your time your miles that main stuff there that upper part of the dashboard you know should be blank when it's blank oh i'm in nirvana you know there's sometimes the last light at least i notice on my car the last light to go out when you turn it when you start it up all those warning lights or many of them shine it's almost like a christmas tree and then the car settles in and they all go out and there's always at least on my car the one on the left that shows like the uh, the temperature, and a lot of times this little blue light with waves that look like water. So I assume that's some kind of a cooling coolant or something. 
or the temperature of something. I don't even know what the temperature of that, what that's even telling me. But that little blue light stays on a little longer than the rest. And then it eventually goes away. And there's another. Thank God. So there's nothing better for me when I drive than to have a dashboard with no extra warning lights on it anywhere. Can't that's my biggest fear because I won't know what to do with them. So <laughs> that's oh dear, I have to go to the manual. I do go to the manual, and the manual many times is helpful, and as I said. Now, in today's world, you can also bypass the manual and go right to the Internet and type in your question. Because many times the manual uh, is written in gobbledygook. And so a lot of times you can go online and say, you know, how do I, you know, I have this warning light item. What does it mean? How, does I, how do I get rid of it? And they will tell you. There, these are, there's like a YouTube video that shows you or there's usually a nice explanation. Easier than in that manual. But I do have the manual at you know handy, and I do use it. Well, if, if there's a time when those little lights stay on, which are the bane of my existence. So recently, I was uh, out of town, and I came back, and my wife picked me up at the airport. And uh, when I left, no lights, no little lights, no yellow lights, a little eye, no little eyes with a circle around them. Or, or, and no, no exclamation points, no little lights with an exclamation point. Although I do like the little light that had, that looks like the engine or that one has a little drip on it. I like, I, I, I do like the, um, the little, they're not emojis, but the little images on the dashboard. Those are cool looking. I just don't want them to stay on. <laughs> I don't mind looking at them, but I like when they go away. <laughs> So I get into the car. My wife says, oh, do you want to drive? And I said, sure. So I get in, and I get in the driver's seat. And as soon as I sit down, I, I mean, that my eyes are trained. When, when I get into a car, I look at that dashboard. I want to make sure that there's nothing wrong as I, can, as I begin to traverse in the car. So my eyes go right to that dashboard, and I have a, such a sense of relief when that upper half of the dashboard is black. No warning lights, no nothing. Ah, we're safe for this next, for this upcoming trip, at least for a while. <laughs> well, I get into the car. I just get off the plane, long out, you know, nine hour flight. Get in the plane. I sit down. Get off the plane. You know, get in the driver's seat. It's good to be home. I get in, close the door, eyes straight to. The dashboard and oh, what's this? It's not black. The dashboard is not black. There's two little yellow lights. There's one, as I just said, with the eye in a little circle. I think that means information. I don't know even know what that means. That one doesn't seem to be as scary. But then there's that one that looks a little weird. You have to look that one up in the book. The little engine one looks, you could tell that's an engine. One looks like you need oil. It's got the little oil can. Some of the pictures that they use on your dashboard 
at least tell you exactly what the problem might be. This one, I don't know who designed this one. It's become the universal symbol for it. I really, I, I, it's not as obvious as it should be. Do you know the one I'm talking about? Yes, it's that one. The tires. The tire light. Your tire warning light about your tire pressure. It does not look like a tire. Now, I, I know that if you look at it close, they're saying, well, it kind of does. There's an... No, it should be a round tire with, with, with your hubcap and a spoke. That's a tire. I don't know what the hell that thing is. It's this weird oblong. I don't even know what that symbol is supposed to mean. But it's not good. It, 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 it's, it's one that you always have to, when it pops up, you go, what? Oh, oh, right, right, right. Tires, right. Yeah, I don't know. That, that is the weirdest one. It, it is not as clear as it should be. I'm very disappointed in the, the image guys that came up, or women, I'm, not, I'm, not using, I'm just using it generally, who came up for the tire pressure uh, symbol on a car. That, to me, uh, does not look like a tire. It looks like it's got, first of all, it's scary. Because it has an exclamation point on it. So that's scary right away. That's telling you, ah, major problem. But then it's got, it almost looks like a harp. It looks like the thing on a Guinness. It it doesn't look like, I mean, I get what they're going on, I guess. It's kind of like a tire, but it's not, it doesn't look like a tire. It should have, it should be round with, with some treads. And some spokes, like a hubcap. That's a tire. This thing, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know why that's become the official tire pressure symbol, but it's not It's not a good one. So I have a problem with that one. But that one and the little eye is lit up. So now I'm like, first thing, I, I get into the car ready to go and go, whoa, I go, what, what, what's going on with the tires? Because I've seen that tire pressure thing before. And my wife says, yeah, the other day that went on. I'm like, oh, here we go. Just get home, and now I've got some car issue that I have to deal with. But thankfully, it's tire pressure. That I can do. As I said, I can fix a tire. And yes, look at me, Jimmy Fix It. I can put air in a tire. Thank you very much. But I have to say that me and air and tires have not had the best history anyway. <laughs> yes, I could put air in a tire, but most of the time I put too much air in the tire. Because for most part, when you go to some kind of an air hose, whether it's at a gas station that the gas that the, the mechanics use, sometimes it's just laying out there, and now they have machines, they charge you for air. But most of the times, you're, you're, how do you know? You know that little gizmo that you're supposed to check your air with, that you, you put it on the nozzle and then the little stick pops out? Uh, that's, that's nice to have, but there, that's, not, that's not the most accurate thing. It dep- you know, many times, it depends on how much air shoots out. Sometimes it could say 25, sometimes it could say 45. So, so often I think you're just playing a guessing game and I'm not very good at the guessing game because when I, you know, when I guess when you fill a tire, 
It's supposed to be 32, uh, for the most part, most tires are 32 pounds of, of air. You know, they're supposed to be, you know, to me, I would think that you want a tire that, you know, is full. But the tire, when you look at it, when it's at the, the correct uh, pressure, you know, there's, and that makes sense. It, it's not completely, there's a, there's, there's, it, it, it almost doesn't look flat, but there's some, there's some, the tire is not completely rounded where there's just a little thing because you want traction. So that makes sense to me. But in the past, when I was younger, not knowing, I filled it up. I was like, well, I'm just going to fill this thing up so it looks full if I have, a, you know, if there's a slow leak or something. One time I went to the, <laughs> one time I went to the, get an oil change and they checked your tire pressure and the guy goes, hey, boss, you got 50 pounds in this tire. <laughs> One time I was going on a long road trip up to uh, Upper Michigan with some friends with this car of mine that was not the best of cars. And so I was like, you know, I want to make sure that we have, you know, air in the tires. Well, you know, we're going to drive for about 10, 9, 8 hours. So, you know, when you drive on a tire or even when it's hot out, uh, once again, I don't know this because I, I, I didn't have the knowledge. I was, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I was 18, 19 years old. You know, the, 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 the tire heats up and the air expands. So we had a bubble on my tire. <laughs> I don't even know how that worked or what happened. And we wound up getting a blowout because I think the tire was so overinflated that we hit something and it blew up. So we got a blowout. Then on the other tire, I had like this bubble. I still don't know why I had this bubble on the side of my tire. I have no idea. So me and air, well, I, yes, I can, I can fill a tire with, but I don't know how good I am at it. <laughs> and I have that little gizmo that you stick on the nozzle and it spits out the, the little white stick, but that seems to me, every time I do it, it, it comes up a different number. So what I have to say is, I was very happy. I went to a gas station. And I've never seen this before, but I'm going to go to this gas station from now on because it's the best air. I'll pay the $2 that it cost because this thing, and what took so long for this in this age of great technology? We shouldn't be guessing at this stuff at this stage, right? Well, with this air pump, no guessing needed. This thing was worked by a computer. It must have a sensor in the little nozzle that you put on your tire to fill the air. It stops at 32. If you're at 32, it won't even work. So if you have too much, you have to let some out. Maybe that's when that thing might you know help. But if you have a low tire, this thing will not go over 32. How great is that? And now I know that I'm at 32. I'm not putting in 45. I'm not going by my eye or how much I think or, you know, you can't feel a tire. Why, why should there be, in today's world with our technology, that we should have very little guesswork? But filling up a tire with an air hose has always been guesswork for the most part. Some I know that are a little more sophisticated do have the little uh, meter on them, but not a lot of them. Most of them do not have that meter on them where they have actually a little handle. That's great. 
but a lot of them don't have that. So most of the time when you're filling up your tire, it's all guesswork. And I'm paying $2 for, the, for air. I mean, think about what you're paying for. Air for $2. But this machine was the first one I've ever seen that's, that, that has a default at 32 pounds. Oh, my gosh, was that great. I had a couple of tires that were low. They stopped. A couple of tires, it didn't even start. It said 32. You're at 32. Fantastic. I will be going to that service station now in that little corner with that machine. I hope it never goes away. Every air pump should be that way. It should have this self-default at 32. So the guesswork is out. Oh, my gosh. I, it, was, it was like I heard a choir of angels. I'm like, this is the smartest thing on earth. What's taking so long for this? Why are we guessing, especially with idiots like me, who clearly don't have a good good eye at guessing, to put 45 or 50 pounds in a tire? <laughs> I, I am an idiot when it comes to that. So, so think of the idiot and find a way so that it's idiot-proof. And here it is. This air pump will not go over 30. There's a sensor somewhere, obviously, in the nozzle. It, it senses how much air is in it, and when you press, it goes, and when it hits 32, it stops. Greatest invention on earth. Better than any Popeil product that was ever made, whether it was the pocket fisherman or the set it and forget it. No, this is the greatest invention. Better than a computer. This is the greatest invention to stop me from overinflating my tires. Greatest invention. Every if you if you own uh, a a uh, a gas station, or you own or work at some kind of a gas station slash convenience store where you have air in a vacuum, if you have air, you better get this machine that stops at 32 pounds. It's the greatest invention there is. So I leave there, and I'm assuming now that I, I mean, I've got my 32, according to my little machine here, I'm at 32, I'm at 32 for you know, all the tires, so I'm in good shape. But the light is still on. Now, in one version of my car, there was actually a little button On the left, near where you hit the button for your hood, I know how to lift my hood. I just don't know what's underneath. I just know once it's up, I don't know what to do with it. But I know how to open the hood, so give me some, you know, a couple of pointers on that one. There used to be this little button on the left, right above, that had that bad little fake, horrible tire symbol, and you would press that a couple times, and it would recalibrate and get rid of that thing on your dashboard but my new car doesn't have that my newer one that button for whatever reason is gone now as the car continues to be more reliant on computers so i'm i'm at 32 on on my on my wheels but that damn light is on it's driving me crazy because while i know that my tires are fine that light is telling me, it's just, it's just irritating me. It's, it's like poking the bear. 
I'm like, I know that my tires are okay, and yet you won't go out. Why won't you go out, light? Stop, stop aggravating me. Stop, stop antagonizing me. My tires are at 32. I don't have a tire problem anymore. My tire pressure now is fine. So light, you should go out. So what do I do? I go to my my little book, and it says, you know, this light should go out. If, if not, if it doesn't, it needs to be calibrated. But that's all it says. It doesn't tell me, unless I didn't continue to read, and I'm going to go back and look now in my, in my manual. It doesn't tell me that I can calibrate this myself. I don't need to go to a mechanic. A lot of times, you know, you go to... You know, I don't know about your car, but my car, when you need a uh, an oil change, you know, the light goes on, and it stays on until you get the oil change, and then they somehow, when you're done, it's all finished. I don't know if they click something as well. Maybe they do. It's all on those little buttons now on the side of the of the uh, on the right hand side of your of your steering wheel. There's a little mini screen we have the giant screen we have you know a 60 inch screen now is our day and our dashboard screen you know with all your you know uh gps everything but then there's a little mini screen within the dashboard where you know how many miles you've driven and all that stuff are so now there's a whole nother setting in the vehicle settings in that other one that is that is um controlled by those little finger controls on your steering wheel Little do I know that within the vehicle settings, you can calibrate your tire pressure thing so that you can get rid of that light. (sighs) I'm trying to think how many days. It's been a week, and that light's been on. Even though my tires have been calibrated at 32, I've gone hoping that that light would go out. Every time I start the car, I want those lights to go out, and they won't be. They're just there. And they're saying, we are not going out. And I'm like, but I've done everything. I put your air in. You told me I have low pressure. Now I don't have low pressure. Lights, why don't you go out? I guess they have to be calibrated. But little do I know that I have the ability to get rid of that light. That light was, 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 was antagonizing me. And I could have gotten rid of it with two little simple finger gestures. Oh, I gave it a finger gesture for about a week, but I'm talking about a different kind, you know, using the control. So what did I do? I didn't see anything in my manual. I'm going to go back now and see it and read if I, if I bypass that. But I went online, went on YouTube and said, how do I get my tire pressure sensor to go off? And I put the model and year of my car. I hit search. And sure enough, there's a, a minute and 32-second video about how to get rid of it. Zip, zip. I go out to the garage. Boop, boop, boop. Lights out. Uh-huh. Dance, dance, dance. Lights out. Uh-huh. There is peace and there is tranquility in the force, in the universe. I shut the car off, I turned it back on, and what did I see? A clear black dashboard. (sighs) The world 
world is a good place. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody who listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic, and it should be theirs too. Your loyalty and devotion are much appreciated. Hope you've enjoyed episode number 374. I'm Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen.